Chapter Ten of Weapons of Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Weapons of Mystery by Joseph Hocking. Chapter Ten. The Coming of the Night. Directly after breakfast, I went away alone. I wanted to get rid of an awful weight which oppressed me. I walked rapidly, for the morning was cold. I had scarcely reached the park gates, however, when a hand touched me, and I turned and saw Kaffar. I hope your solitary walk is pleasant, he said, revealing his white teeth. Thank you, I replied coldly. I thought he was going to leave me, but he kept close by my side, as if he wanted to say something. I did not encourage him to speak, however. I walked rapidly on in silence. Temple Hall is a curious place, he said. Very, I replied. So different from Egypt. Ah, so different. There the skies are bright. The trees are always green. There the golden sand hills stretch away. The palm trees wave. The Nile sweeps majestic. There the cold winds scarcely ever blow, and the people's hearts are warm. I suppose so. There are mysteries there, as in Temple Hall, Mr. Blake, but mysteries are sometimes of human origin. As he said this, he leered up into my face, as if to read my thoughts. But I governed my features pretty well, and thus, I think, deceived him. Perhaps you know this, he said. No, I replied, I am connected with no mysteries. Not with the appearance of a ghost last night? I looked at him in astonishment. The insinuation was so far from true that for the moment I was too surprised to speak. He gave a fierce, savage laugh, and clapped his hands close against my face. I knew I was right, he said, and then before I had time to reply, he turned on his heel and walked away. Things were indeed taking curious turns, and I wondered what would happen next. What motive, I asked, could Kaffar have in connecting me with the ghost? And what was the plot which was being concocted? There, in the broad daylight, the apparition seemed very unreal. The servants alone in the hall at midnight, perhaps talking about the traditional ghost, could easily have frightened themselves into the belief that they had seen it. Or perhaps one of their fellow-servants sought to play them a trick, and ran away when they saw what they had done. I would sift a little deeper. I immediately retraced my steps to the house, where, meeting Tom, I asked him to let me have Simon Slowden and a couple of dogs as I wanted to shoot a few rabbits. This was easily arranged, and soon after, Simon and I were together, away on the open moors, there was no fear of eavesdroppers, no one could hear what we said. Simon, I said, after some time, have you thought any more of the wonderful ghost that you saw last night? Instantly his face turned pale, and he shuddered as if in fear. At any rate, the ghost was real to him. Your Honor, he said, I don't feel as if I can talk about her. I've played in Hamlet, Your Honor, along with Octavius Bumpus's traveling theater, and I can nail a made-up living ghost in a minute. But this ghost didn't look made up. There was no blood, Your Honor. She looked as if she'd have been vaccinated forty times. And were the movements of her legs and arms natural? No giants, Master Blake. She looked like a wooden figure without proper giants. Perhaps she had a few wire pins in her anatomy, but no giants proper. So you believe in this ghost? Can't help it, Your Honor. Simon, I don't. There's some deep-laid scheme on foot somewhere, 
and I think I can guess who's working it. Simon started. You don't think that air waxinatin' some namblifyin' willin' have got the thing in and— I didn't speak, but looked keenly at him. At first he did nothing but stare vacantly, but presently a look of intelligence flashed into his eyes. Then he gave a shrug, as if he was disgusted with himself, which was followed by an expression of grim determination. Master Blake, he said solemnly, it's that waxinatin' process as have done it. Simon Slowden couldn't have been such a nincompoop if he hadn't been waxinated against whoopin' cough, measles, and smallpox. Your Honor, he continued, after I were waxinated, I broke out in a kind of rash all over, and that air rash must have robbed me of my senses, but I'm blowed. There, I can't say fair nor that. Why, what do you think? I daren't tell you, Your Honor, for fear I'll make another mistake. I thought, sir, as it would take a hangle with black wings to nick me like this ear, and now I've been done by somebody. But it's the waxinatin', Your Honor, it's the waxination. In the Proverbs of Job we read, Fool and his money soon parted. And so we can see how true the teaching is today. But what is to be done, Simon? Simon shook his head, and Ned said solemnly, I'm away from my baron, sir. I thought when I were done the last time it should be the last time. It were in this way, sir. I was in the doctor's service, as waccinated me. Says he, when he done, Simon, you'll never have smallpox now. Think not, says I. Never, says he. And when Susan, the housemaid, heard it, she says, I'm so glad, Simon. Then says I, Susan, when people are married, they're converted into one flesh. That's scripture. You get married to me, says I, and you'll be kept free from smallpox without going through this year willifying process. With that, she looks at me and says, You are purty. I'll try you for three months. If you don't get smallpox in that time, why then, we'll talk about it. So I says, Say yes at once, Susan. The doctor says I can't get it, so there's no sort of fear. I were young and simple then, and thou doctors never made a mistake. Well, sir, in two months more, I were down with smallpox, and when I got up again, I were a sight to behold. As soon as I were fit to be seen, I went to Susan to get a mite of comfort, and then I see her a courtin' with a coachman, and I says to myself, Simon Slowden, I says, this year's the last time you must ever be taken in, and now I'm right mad I should have been licked in this year way. I couldn't help laughing at Simon's story, in spite of my heavy heart, and so I asked him what the doctor said when he found vaccination a failure. Sent me off without a character, sir, he replied grimly. Said he couldn't keep a servant as would a livin' advertisement as how his pet obby were a failure, and so I always say as how, as how vaccination is my ruin. It ruined my blood and weakened my brain. Still, continued Simon with a sly look, I reckon as how I'll be a match for that er doubly waccinated ghost as frightened me so. I could get nothing more from him. He had formed some notion about the apparition which he would not divulge, so we devoted our attention to sport, and after frightening a good many rabbits, we returned to the hall. Nothing of importance happened through the day, except an inquiry which Tom made among the servants. Each declared they were entirely ignorant as to the appearance of the ghost, and all were evidently too frightened to doubt the truth of their statement. Thus when evening came, nothing was known of it. Kafar did not speak to me from the time I had seen him in the morning to dinner-time, and evidently avoided me. Voltaire, on the contrary, was unusually bland and smiling, 
he was pleasant and agreeable to everyone especially so to me after dinner we all found our way to the drawing-room when the usual singing flirting and dancing program was carried out suddenly however there was comparative silence one voice only was heard and that was the egyptians yes he was saying i am what is called a superstitious man i do believe in dreams visions and returned spirits of the dead but ah i do not believe in made-up ghosts oh you cold-blooded english people don't mistake the impulsive egyptian don't accuse him of lack of faith in the unseen so much do i believe in it that sometimes i long to be with those who have gone but bah the ghost last night was to deceive to frighten got up by some villain for a purpose and i can guess who he is this is serious said tom temple i have inquired of the servants who all assure me of their entire ignorance of the matter and i cannot think that any of my guests would assume the person of the traditional ghost for no other purpose than to frighten the housekeeper and two or three servants i'm by no means superstitious but i do not see how i can trace it to human origin i cannot see why any guest should assume the person of the traditional ghost but some men have deep designing minds they are like clever draught players they see a half dozen moves ahead and so do that which to a novice appears meaningless and absurd then i heard another voice one that caused my heart to beat wildly it was gertrude forrest's mr kaffar says he can guess who the person is who has personated this ghost she said i think it fair to every guest that he should speak out i would not like to say he said insultingly perchance i should wound your tender feelings too deeply mr kaffar will remember he's speaking to a lady i'm sure said tom temple pardon me said kaffar excitedly i forgot i was in england where men are the slaves of the ladies with us it is different we speak and they obey i forgot i was not in egypt i have done very wrong i implore the lady's pardon i see no meaning in your words said miss forrest quietly therefore i see nothing to forgive ah i live again a heavy load is gone from my heart i have not merited the lady's displeasure still i think it right if you have grounds for suspecting anyone that we should know said a voice otherwise someone may be wrongly accused do not ask me said kaffar ask mr blake instantly all eyes were turned on me and do as i might i could not help an uncomfortable flush rising in my face i do not know what mr kaffar means i replied i am as ignorant as to the origin of the ghost as he is perhaps more so instantly kaffar leaped from his chair and came up to me his hands clenched his black eyes gleaming his teeth set together as if in a terrible rage you are a liar and a villain he screamed ah remember this morning i accused him gentlemen of being connected with this ghost only today and he flushed guiltily and was silent he looked like a judas who betrayed his master quietly please i replied you did come to me this morning with some foolish jargon about my being connected with last night's affair but i was so surprised by the absurdity and foolishness of such a thing that i could not answer you before you ran away you hear shrieked the egyptian so surprised was he if he was it was because i had found him out this man is mad i said surely he ought to be shut up mad am i he shrieked yes and you are a liar and a coward and a villain you are engaged in a fiendish plot 
You are deceiving an innocent lady. Ah, I spurn you, spit upon you. Mr. Kaffar, said Tom Temple, really, this cannot be allowed. You must remember you are among gentlemen and ladies. Please act accordingly. Ladies there are. Gentlemen there are, shrieked the Egyptian. But he, pointing at me, is no gentleman. He is at once a viper, a villain, and a coward. I leave this house. I renounce pleasant society. I leave this country forever. But before I go, I would like to fight hand to hand with that giant who, ah, he stood close to me and spat at me. There, he cried, and then he struck me in the face with all his strength. Instantly I leaped to my feet. This insult was too great. I could scarcely restrain from striking him to the ground. I mastered myself, however, and so did not touch him. I leave this house, he said wildly. Herod, send on my baggage to Cairo. But turning to me, you I challenge. You with your big body and trained arms. But bah, you daren't fight. You are a mooning coward. He rushed out of the room as he spoke, and a minute later I heard the hall door slammed with vehemence. At that moment I became possessed of a terrible passion. I seemed to be mad. I longed to avenge the insults that had been offered. I looked around the room, and all seemed astounded at the behavior of the Egyptian, save Voltaire, who was apologizing in profuse terms for his friend. As I looked at his terrible eyes, my passion became greater, and I felt I could not govern myself if I stayed in this room. I think someone came up to me and congratulated me on my coolness in dealing with the man who had insulted me so, but I did not listen. I could not. An overmastering impulse laid hold of me to follow the Egyptian, and I dimly remember going into the hall and out into the silent night. I knew the probability was that I should be followed, but I did not know where to go. But I seemed to hear voices all around me uttering the words, Drear Water Pond. With that I started running, with all my might, knowing not where, yet dimly remembering that I had gone the road before. Then all memory and consciousness ceased. End of chapter 10